0: Um, Today, we're going to talk about freedom. Um, This is a section of of 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about the freedom that we have in Christ, and it's maybe not something that we think about all that often. Uh, We live our Christian lives. Um, Sometimes we live them uh, well and according to the will of God, and sometimes we live them according to the will of our flesh. Um, But we have an immense amount of freedom in Christ, and what we do with that is really important. And so Paul spends quite a bit of time uh, talking about what we should be doing with our freedom and and how we should be using it. And so we're going to be talking about that for the next couple weeks. Um, I want to read to you a passage in uh, Luke chapter 4 to get us started, and then we'll pray and we'll talk about freedom a little bit. This is a really interesting passage because um, Jesus is um, uh, just fresh out of the wilderness temptation experience, and he's come into town, and he goes into church, and he gets a scroll, and he opens it up, and he reads from the scroll to the people who were there, and he's basically, at the very beginning of his ministry, declaring his purpose. He is declaring what he is here for on earth, why he came to be among people, and this is what he says in Luke Chapter 4, verse 18. He's reading a prophecy from the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, to the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty, freedom, those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then a whole bunch of stuff happened because people were like, you can't say that. How could you say that? Are you claiming you are God? And Jesus is saying, listen, um, this scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing because I am the guy that was talked about a long time ago that is going to bring freedom Where there was no freedom, Jesus's purpose in coming to earth, being born as a baby, wrapped in flesh, fully God, fully man, growing up sinless, was ultimately to bring us freedom. And what we do with that freedom is very important. He declared the reason he came was to give freedom from captivity to sin, right? So when we read this little section, he is proclaiming liberty for the captives, Okay. Something we need to realize. Oh, 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 nope. Nope, 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 uh, Yep, okay. There we go. Um, we need freedom, okay? Um, this, we have to wrestle with this before we go any further because we can't know what to do with our freedom if we don't realize we, A, need it, B, we have it, okay? So we need freedom. Jesus is really clear about that when he says, I'm here to proclaim freedom for people who are captive, which means we have to recognize that we are captive to something. Um, We struggle against something. We need freedom from something. He's very clear. Jesus doesn't lie. He is truth. Um, I am the truth and the truth will set you free is what Jesus says. So he says, I am here to declare freedom to those who are captive. He wasn't saying um, some people are captive. He wasn't saying uh, only the worst people are captive. He's saying my entire purpose was to come to the world to free the world from captivity. Um, Then he says, I need to give sight to the blind because rough translation, Peter's version of the Bible. Y'all are blind y'all don't know that y'all are captive. So you don't know how blind you are, and you don't know how captive you are to things that are leading you astray. So he's coming to give us sight so that we can see how much we need this freedom. Then he says, I'm going to give liberty to those who are oppressed. This is an interesting one, and we'll get to this at the end of the message, but We often use our freedom incorrectly in Christ. And a lot of times we use our freedom to hurt other people. And Jesus says, listen, not only do you need eyes to see the truth, that you need to receive the freedom which I'm giving you. And then you need to not use your freedom to oppress people because I am coming to relieve oppression, not encourage it in any way, shape or form. And so this is what Jesus' sole purpose in life is. And we need to admit before we go any further this morning, that we need that freedom Jesus is talking about. That even if we are Christ followers here today, we are still in desperate need of the freedom that Christ offers us from the things that still want to entangle us. Um, in, in John chapter eight, um, uh, we, we read this whole section that Jesus uh, speaks about the truth setting you free. Um, uh, John chapter eight, verse uh, 32. Uh, nope, 31. 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All right? So we're going to abide in the word this morning. We're going to read the word. We're going to learn what it says about our captivity and our freedom in Christ, um, what our freedom means, what we've been freed from, and then what we're supposed to do with that freedom. And then Paul will go into greater detail in the coming chapter um, about exactly what that looks like in a more specific way. This is a very general, entry-level version of Christ's freedom for us. But we need this freedom that Christ offers to us. Um, In Acts chapter 13, and and, and this is a lot of verses, you can just follow along in your Bible if you'd like. Acts chapter 13 uh, says this to us. Um, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that... Through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Meaning, through Jesus, we maintain and we receive forgiveness of our sins. Does anybody want to amen that this morning? Because that's pretty good news, right? Um, And it continues. And by him, everyone who believes meaning believes that Jesus is the Son of God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place for our sins, gave us forgiveness, right? Anybody who believes in the gospel, the good news, um, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Here's what the Bible's telling us. The Bible is telling us that there was a system of law that existed before Christ. It was called the law of Moses, and, and you can Uh, You can read it in everything that is um, in the Old Testament, right? It's a pretty thick section of scriptures. Um, And in that uh, Old Testament is a law code um, that uh, began with the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not murder, right? We all love that one. Um, But there are also things in there uh, like um, uh, the Lord your God is one and you shall worship him. Um, you shall not have other idols. And and there are these 10 wonderful commandments, five of which deal with how we relate to God and five of which deal with how we relate to each other in community. And God says through how we relate to God and how we relate to each other, then God is glorified. But then if you continue to read uh, the book of Leviticus, anybody's favorite book, Leviticus? <laughs> Nobody? Okay, um, I actually rather like it. There is so many laws. I think there are 613, if I remember correctly, 613 laws in the Levitical Code, which tell us how we can eat our food and what kind of fabrics we can wear together and how people should cut their hair and where you are supposed to poop outside the camp. And I'm not joking. I mean, these are laws that deal with every kind of aspect of life. And the people came to believe that they understood holiness the way that they became close to God by following the law perfectly. And, and in some ways in the Old Testament, that's how God said how close you can get to him because he was very holy and you didn't go into the presence of God unless you were very clean, right? And only the high priest would go in once a year to the Holy of Holies to atone for all the sins of the nation of Israel, so the people who lived according to the law of Moses, the laws in the Old Testament, tried very hard to stay as close to these laws as possible because that was how they understood they could be close to God. Now, um, Jesus enters the scene and he says, listen, um, I have come to free you from the law of Moses, right? Um, I, I have come so that these 613 laws are not the way that you maintain holiness, but rather, I want to introduce a new way, a new covenant, a new understanding of the law. And so Jesus took the Ten Commandments, right? Five which dealt with how we love God and five which dealt with how we love and live in community to other people. And he summed up the law in such a way that he said, if, if I need to tell you how to obey the law and how to be holy, then it is going to look like loving God and loving others. Like, if you're going to do anything, if you're going to consider what a holy lifestyle looks like, Jesus says, love God and love others. There you have the sum total of the law. Does it really matter if cotton and polyester blend together? I don't know that Jesus really cares, and I don't know that that pertains to our holiness. What pertains to our holiness is how we exemplify the character of God, and that means we love God and we love other people. And so Jesus, in this verse, is saying, listen— Through him, we have the forgiveness of sins, right? We've been set free from the captivity of sin, right? And then that means that all of the burden of the law is gone. We no longer need the law to atone for us because Christ has atoned for us. We have freedom from our sin and freedom from the immense burden of trying to keep all of the perfection of the law. Um, That should be a relief to all of you. Because I don't, as far as I'm aware, none of you brought doves to offer this morning, right? Anybody? No, you forgot, right? Anybody brought a sheep? Spotless lamb? No, a bull? No? No sisters, right? We don't do that. Um, But, uh, nice try. Um, But nobody brought anything to sacrifice this morning because Christ was the sacrifice. We understand that. That he was the sacrifice in our place for our sins. He has freed us from that. Therefore, our worship changes. Um, And we have been freed from the law of Moses. Now, Galatians continues uh, Paul's writings, and, and he continues saying this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Why did Christ set us free? So we could have freedom. It seems like a weird way to phrase it, but he wants us to understand that Christ set us free so that we could have freedom So that we could experience freedom. Have you guys ever um, had a moment where you had all that stress building up in your life and then that went away and the situation resolved and you felt like you could breathe for the first time, Mm -hmm. right? That is what Jesus is talking about. I am setting you free so that you can experience, oh, right? You can experience freedom. It continues, stand firm, therefore, in your freedom and do not submit again to the chains of slavery you have been set free from slavery to sin to those habits to those things that you know you shouldn't be involved in from the law so don't go back to that right you have been set free so that you can experience freedom you can run with freedom you can um worship with freedom you can live with freedom don't go back to the things that enslave you right you have freedom now so use your freedom and then john 8 continues um, if the sun sets you free you will be free indeed in other places in scripture God says I acted who can reverse it right That's a pretty bold statement um, which he could do because he's God if he acts we can't reverse it right um, if he puts the sun and the stars in their place I can't undo that right if, if he creates air for me to breathe I cannot uncreate air for me to breathe right Um, I cannot undo what God does because he's God, right? So if the son, Jesus, who is God fully, sets us free, then we have been set free, right? The problem is while we don't undo our freedom, we misuse our freedom. Um, We like to think that our freedom gives us freedom to sin, Paul talks a lot about that in the book of Corinthians, right? We've talked a little bit about that earlier, that just because we can do something according to the law doesn't mean we should. Just because the law allows, according to the book of Corinthians in that day and age, Two consenting unmarried adults to sleep together doesn't mean Christians in freedom in Christ should say, yeah, okay, that works. The law says I can do it. Therefore, I'm free in Christ. His grace is enough to forgive my sins. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't work like that. In fact, Paul uses a Greek term that says meganoito. That's the Greek term. And it says, may it never be. May it never be that we use our freedom to sin May it never be that we use our freedom to excuse and justify behavior. May it never be that we use our freedom to enslave other people. May it never be, because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Um, And we have freedom from sin and the yoke of that, and from the law and the yoke of that. None of you follow the 613 commandments that are in the Old Testament. Um, So instead, we have this command to use our freedom to love God and to love other people. And this means our freedom is meant to be demonstrated in two ways. In private worship, right, where we worship God for forgiving us of our sins, we love him and honor him when we are independent of anybody else and we are um, on our own, where nobody sees what we are doing but me and Jesus, and we live our freedom out privately. Does that make sense? As individual believers. But freedom is also to be used within the bounds of the community of the body of Christ. And this is where we run into problems. Um, It's very obvious where we run into problems as individual believers. If we all were very transparent, we could all raise our hands and say, this is where I fail, right? And this is where I submit myself again to the yoke of slavery, to sin. But when it comes to the freedom that we have in community, this is where we sometimes misuse our freedom. And this is where I want to read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. Um, and, and, and I'm going to put it up on the screen here. It's in the message version. Um, again, I really like reading uh, this in the message. It's, it's very um, easy to understand. Uh, and, and then we'll dive back in uh, through the ESV. But if you want to follow along with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read the entirety. It's just 13 verses. It reads this way, Paul writing to the Corinthians, Uh, The question keeps coming up uh, regarding meat that has been offered to an idol. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? This is a question that the Corinthians were asking. Um, A little background about um, Corinth and and their practices. They had many temples to false gods. Um, And and temples were this really interesting place. Uh, They were multi-purpose. So temples in this day and age were not just a place of worship. Uh, You would go there and you would worship oftentimes through prostitutes, but in many other ways as well. Uh, You would go and you would worship in whatever form of worship you were engaging in, but it was also the local butcher shop, right? Weird, right? It's not like you come to church here and get like steaks for dinner. But what they would do is they would take uh, animals, they would sacrifice it to their false gods, and then they would butcher the meat, and that was where if you were wealthy enough... Uh, you would go and eat meat. Meat was really for the elite in that day and age. Uh, we take for granted the fact we can just go to the grocery store, we can go to the ocean, and we can procure meat for ourselves, right? Um, but it was really for the elitist kind of people. They could go and partake there. Now, it wasn't just a butcher shop, but often... Um, it was a banquet hall for the community, kind of like the Ted Ferry Civic Center, right, where you go and you have large banquets and you celebrate with meals, uh, large events and stuff like that in the community. The same at the temples. So this meat that has been sacrificed to whatever false god they were worshiping at the time would then be butchered and sold or used in these community meals for whatever reason. So the local clubs would meet there and they would eat. And the question is coming up now... Can we go to meals at these temples that aren't during worship times, but the meat has been sacrificed to false gods? Can can we do this, is what the church is asking. Paul says, we sometimes tend to think that we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions, but sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We really never know enough, Until we recognize that God alone knows it all. He's reminding us, we're not, we don't know everything, right? We have much to learn. And and when we think we know it, we probably don't. And I'm learning in ministry, the more I, the many more years I spend in ministry, the many more things I realize I don't know. (laughs) Um, And so the longer I'm in ministry, the more I realize how much I need Jesus, right? So um, that's the way our lives should be. The closer we get to Christ, the more we should desire to know of him. And this is what he's saying. We really don't know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. And some people say, quite rightly, that idols don't actually exist, right? That there's nothing to them, that there is no God other than our God. So no matter how many of these so-called gods are named and worshiped, they don't really add up to anything but a tall story. They say again, quite rightly, that there is only one God the Father, that everything comes from him, and that he wants us to live for him. Also, they say that there is only one master, Jesus, the Messiah, and that everything is for his sake, including us. And yes, this is very true. So he's summing up what people know. Idols aren't real they're fake they don't exist so it really doesn't matter how many of them you name you're not really calling anything into existence because there's nothing to call into existence on the other hand jesus god is very real and we do worship him and there's one god that we do worship his name is jesus so in strict logic he's a rational guy nothing happened to the meat when it was offered to an idol because there's there's nothing it's being offered to no It's just like any other me. I know that, and you know that. But knowing isn't everything. If it becomes everything, some people end up as know-it-alls, who treat others as know-nothings. And real knowledge isn't that insensitive. We need to be sensitive to the fact that we're not all at the same level of understanding in this. Some of you have spent your entire lives speaking to the folks in the Corinthian church who have been converted to Christianity, who have given their heart to Christ recently. Some of you have spent your entire lives eating this idol meat, and now you are sure that there is something bad in the meat that then becomes something bad inside of you when you eat it. An imagination and a conscience are shaped under those conditions. They aren't going to change overnight. It takes time for people to learn the freedom that they have in Christ. Unfortunately, Oh, but fortunately, God doesn't grade us on our diet, right? Amen? <laughs> we are neither commended when we clean our plate, nor reprimanded when we just can't stomach it. But God does care when you use your freedom carelessly in a way that leads a fellow believer who is still vulnerable to those old associations to be thrown off track. For instance... Say you flaunt your freedom by going to a banquet thrown in honor of idols, where the main courses meet, sacrificed to idols. Isn't there great danger if someone's still struggling over this issue? Someone who looks up to you as knowledgeable and mature in the faith sees you go into that banquet? The danger is that he will become terribly confused, maybe even to the point of getting mixed up himself in what, is, in what his conscience is telling him is wrong. Christ gave up his life for that person. Wouldn't you at least be willing to give up going to dinner for him? Because, as you say, it doesn't really make a difference, but it does make a difference if you hurt your friend terribly, risking his eternal ruin. When you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. A free meal here and there isn't worth it at the cost of even one of these weak ones. So never go to these idle, tainted meals. If there's any chance, it will trip up one of your brothers or sisters. It's important that we understand that we need freedom in Christ. We have to live as free people because Christ has freed us from our sins. But just because we have the freedom, as Paul says, to go to that banquet and eat that meat doesn't mean we should. This is how we learn to exercise our freedom in Christ. Now, We don't have temples to all the Greek and Roman gods in our city. As far as I'm aware, they don't exist. So let's try and put this in a context that suits us. There are things as Christians that we probably can do. The Bible doesn't explicitly say our sins. But there are things that will trip up people in our congregation, in our brother and sisterhood, that if I do, because it's not sin to me, but someone else does and it is sin to them, if I do that and demonstrate to them that it's okay, they might do that and become weaker in their faith because of it. In in the previous weeks, we talked about sin. Um, and and if you remember, I'm going to go back to that definition. Do um, you remember the definition that we talked about um, John and Charles Wesley's mom, Susanna Wesley, gave a definition of sin, and it reads like this. Whatever weakens your reason, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, whatever obscures your sense of God, whatever takes off the relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority over your flesh instead of your spirit, that thing is a sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself right? So we're looking at those things that weaken our flesh. If you can do, I don't know, I'm drawing a blank on anything. Um, uh, if, if you, I have no examples, can go to the library and check out books and return them, no big deal to you. But if you have a friend who can't check out books without losing them, without, this is a really terrible example, I don't know why this is, but you know what I'm saying? Like, please be with me on this. (laughs) Um, If you can do something and it doesn't bother you, but if your friend struggles in that area and you consistently do that practice around them, you might be actually leading them to weaken their faith because they might think, if you are a strong Christian and you can do that, why can't I do that too? but it might be the thing that weakens their faith. And as someone who is free in Christ in a body of believers, right, your freedom in relationship to community means maybe you shouldn't do that anymore. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, okay? This is the law of freedom as it comes to life within uh, relationship to other people. What you do with your Christ-given freedom will affect other people. Um, What you do with your freedom could lead someone else towards spiritual ruin. Have you ever thought about that? Or do you just live your Christian life for you? We are called to be one body. And all parts of the body work together for the glory of God. So that when you do something that weakens the faith or the conscience of someone else in the body of Christ... That's detrimental to the whole. Um, When you um, live your freedom without regard for anyone else, um, you have the uh, ability to hinder someone else's holiness. When you um, live your freedom without regard to anyone else in the body, you have the ability to weaken their faith or encourage it. Um, You are not your own, remember. You were bought with a price. And you were bought to be free and part of a body that works together to bear with one another in each other's weaknesses. Do we even know what each other's weaknesses are? Part of this freedom in Christ means being transparent with one another, being in small group community and sharing with one another what our weaknesses are, these things that trip us up and hinder us, so that those in that tight-knit small group community can then use their freedom to abstain from those things, right? That way, we are strengthening one another towards holiness. Your freedom should not lead others to slavery, right? Your freedom should never lead other people to be oppressed by something that Christ wants them to be free from. Rather, your freedom should say, I can see where you're struggling. That's not a problem for me, but I am going to not do that So that you aren't alone in this struggle. So that I can use my freedom to help you become free of something. Until such a point as they are free from that or not. And you continue to exercise your freedom to restrain yourself from doing something. Galatians 5.13 You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. That means your freedom is laid in submission to the weakness of those around you. You take your freedom and you surrender it for the good of someone else. This is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had total freedom when he walked the face of the earth, right? He had absolute freedom to do whatever he wanted. Uh, He was fully God. He could have done a lot of stuff, right? But he surrendered, Philippians tells us, his rights as God. He laid them aside. He, um, though, had the freedom to call upon all of the things that he could have called upon, he chose not to and considered himself in the form of man, humbled. He laid his freedom aside. He met us where we were, right? And then he continued and humbled himself exercising restraint in his freedom and he went to the cross he he said to god not my will but yours if there's any other way i would love to bypass this not my will but yours he laid his freedom down he died on the cross in our place for our sins and he used his freedom to set us free right he didn't he didn't He didn't say, I'm going to use my freedom to continue to live at the expense of other people. He says, I'm going to use my freedom. I'm going to restrain what I do. I'm going to meet people where they are. And then I'm going to go one step further. And I'm going to buy them back from that. I'm going to go all the way. And I'm going to to purchase them back with my life. That's the example that we have. That's what Galatians is saying. Through love, serve one another with your freedom. Lay your life down for one another. Complete the law. Love God and love one another. And that means sometimes exercising restraint in your freedom. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And if you do not know what the weaknesses are of those around you, then this is an area our church should grow in. Because if we do not know where people are weak, we do not know where we should exercise restraint in our freedom to strengthen the body as a whole. Christ exercised his freedom by dying on the cross in our place for our sins. This is the meal we're going to partake of together here in just a minute. The worship team will come up and lead us in a time of song, and the ushers will help um, uh, pass the elements out for us. And, And as you grab the element, you can go ahead and take when you are ready, okay? Because this is a moment where you need to recognize that you desperately need That freedom that Christ offers. Because you may have wandered back into slavery. You may have stepped back into that sin again. You may recognize that you weren't even thinking about other people in regards to your freedom. Christ died to set you free. And if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. And this morning, when you partake in the bread and the juice, then please remember that this is the meal where Christ gave his freedom so you could be free. And you can walk in freedom. And you can live in freedom and you can have a life of freedom for the glory of God. So as the worship team comes, uh, the ushers will come and uh, pass out the elements. Feel free (laughs) to partake as you are led by the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you as the elements are begun to be passed out. Lord, thank you for the freedom that you have given us. Thank you for the ways that you have loved us. You did the complete bizarre unthinkable thing of coming to earth and wrapping yourself in flesh and then you did something even more unthinkable in that you resisted all sin your entire life and then you did even something beyond that and that you took your sinless perfect life all the way to the cross on behalf of us you died for us and somehow in 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 your God-mind, you not only saw the entire world as a whole, beautiful and redeemable and perfect, your bride, your church, but you saw every single face that would ever be, individually knowing us, before we were ever born, grace given, poured out for us, that we might live a life of freedom because of your sacrifice your body was broken, your blood was shed, and we now get to receive the promise of that, the new covenant, the one that is poured out through your blood, that we are not held toward 613 laws, but rather simply, we love you, you've forgiven us. We love you for that, Father, and we ask that as we worship you now, as the elements are taken and received, that you would receive honor and glory And that we would know how free we actually are. We give you honor and glory and praise. And now we will worship you as free people in Christ. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.